Yo, 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 this is a hella black the morning show. It's <laughs> live in the afternoon. See <laughs> <laughs> your host Blake Don't Crack. I'm here with Delenciaga the God. Are you, is it recorded right now? Yeah, I'm just that shit. Hey, this is wild because I was just watching that. I was just reading this thread, this Hotep thread. Um, she was wild as fuck. With the uh, the actor with Terrence Howard or some no, shit. You Terrence see that Howard. shit? It's a uh, it's a different one. It shows like if it has fucking like it's this thread of like things that the Hotep niggas be saying. <laughs> and one was like there was this picture of this of uh, um. There's this picture of this dude in skinny jeans, and a hotel nigga quoted it like, "See what y'all don't know is that you know your testicles need air to breathe, and that's why um, fashion is marketed towards black men because they know that you know if we wear tight jeans, we're killing our chances of reproducing, and it's all a ploy to you know hyper masculine." It's the hyper mask. It's, it's the emasculation of black men, but also the ending of reproduction for black people. This nigga say you breathe out your nuts. That's what that's what it sounded like. No, that's what you sounded like when you first started. Like you sounded like a hotel nigga. I don't know why. It's what it just sounded like to me. Like that's how they introduced their shows. Yeah, I mean that was kind of the goal. Yeah, talk like a hotel. We haven't done that shit for a minute. I know that shit is so funny. <laughs> talk like a hotel is funny until it's not. It's like wait, these niggas actually think like this. I actually talk like, like that. I read that thread and I was like, we don't stand a fucking chance. Like you ever read some shit? You just like, yeah, we we never gonna get free. It's over. <laughs> <laughs> it's done for. <laughs> I read some shit sometimes. Just like yeah, nigga, we're never gonna get free. It's all bad. But enough of those niggas. Hella black episode fifty four. In this motherfucker. I gotta know. I gotta know. Gotta know who I'm kicking it with Cause these bitches, they be sneaking up on the low, yeah Shit, I gotta know I gotta know, I gotta know. I'm keeping good company close Cause enemies, they be really sneaking up on the low, low. Train to go We here I'm Sweating just, It's hot as fuck We in this nigga black apartment It's hot than a motherfucker The Bay Area has exp- has experienced We're not gonna say record temperatures But like Nigga, 92 degrees Damn near the last week of September yeah, it's eighty seven degrees. It's supposed currently. To, yeah. It's okay. supposed to be like ninety. Bro. It's September twenty fifth, twenty nineteen, man. Climate change is real. Yeah, nigga, shout <laughs> shit. out. Man, how I've been talking shit all week. I'm like, I was gonna say shout out Greta the Thurmberg, whatever the fuck her name is. <laughs> Not to knock any of the work that she's uh, doing. I'm sure she's a great gal, but you know, great person. But we see um she's getting all this fucking recognition. I hate Yeah, but shit. there's like indigenous women, <laughs> black women Bro, who have been talking about climate, black children talking about this shit. You know, so hey. shout out to all the black, brown, indigenous children talking about environmental issues and it was white people of, always was, get yeah. the shine even though she might be saying some good shit. It was a bunch of non-white youth activists like that was out there leading some of this shit for like the climate strike stuff this this past week. Yeah, um, and it's Wow, because white people is the one who's created all these climate issues, capitalism, oil drilling. Why does the future only matter when white people says it matter? That's that's all I'm saying. I mean, again, not to knock her work, but it's just like, oh my God. You you over here got a plastic straw in your coffee, man. Save the turtles. (laughs) Fucking up the environment, man. You know, Uh they need to ban the U.S. military, not plastic straws. Come on. But that's a whole nother story. I'm excited to be back. You know, we back on this Asada shit. Juiced I think If you read the book I'm sure y'all not fucking I'm sure everybody That's like started to Started to read it Is probably done with it Cause that shit is just Super enticing um, Yeah so not It's a quick one. read yeah. So Annie just yeah. like Wanna keep fucking reading Cause this shit just go 
Yeah, I hope niggas is not like not stopping at chapter four until eight to hear. I highly doubt it. I wouldn't do that <laughs> for us. Like, All right, I'm gonna wait for Hell Bar to drop. Yeah, like, fuck <laughs> so. so yeah, we just hope that you know if you read it already or wherever you are in the book. So yeah, I guess spoiler alert for people. We will be doing chapters five through ten today. Something like that, you know. Yeah, if you're not um up to that point, that's a spoiler spoiler alert for you. We will be doing those chapters. So read up to chapter ten before you listen to this shit. Otherwise. Or no, break some I, mean, like, I don't need. Or I think there's a lot of shit about Asada on the internet that you go like, yeah, that you go know before you even read the book. Yeah, know? definitely. Just like a lot of the quotes that you see, that I feel like popularized on the internet come from this book. Yeah, you know. So make sure you tap in, tap into our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash Hellblackpod, our SoundCloud, iTunes. You feel me? Uh, subscribe to our iTunes. You feel me? How tap many pages do we have at. right now? Should I feel like we have like 190? We trying to get like to that? 200. So bro, when you listen is, to this bro, episode, we've been, we've been at two, if you're a cracker, <laughs> go tap in with your fellow crackers and go tell them, hey, see, we had 189. 189. We had like 187, I think, last time you, you said yeah. something, right? <laughs> so if you're a fellow cracker, a non-black. Um, you said a fellow t- cracker like you a cracker. <laughs> <laughs> if you're a cracker to a fellow cracker, go out there, tap in with the other crackers and tell them to donate or to be a, pa- to be a, um, a patron to Hella Black. Yeah, because you can't consume this shit for free. Cause that shit is 2019. Y'all got to stop using us as fucking your education providers for free. That shit ain't happening. Yeah, we gonna you know we gonna redistribute our shit. We you know, I like to take my money and give it to fellow you know other oppressed and marginalized people. So yeah. know, trickle down economics. <laughs> fuck with me. Shout out Reagan. We can sound like Obama. <laughs> trickle down economics. Uh. <laughs> Straight up. Fuck with me. But now nah, we trying to get 200. Shout out to all the people that support crackers and non-crackers alike. Um, yeah, we trying to get to 200. Fuck with us. Shout episode 54 All the shit Yes lord We gotta start with Black Joy first though <sighs> Alright you, you can start it off <laughs> Black Joy What, what ooh, I had something Because I was thinking about the podcast this morning Oh um, Shit I went to therapy yesterday And That just brought me some joy Just because I was able to like Kind of Take an hour And you know Take a step back from Everyday life, um, especially Monday was like super hard for me. I was hella overwhelmed. I had all this work shit going on. Um, so I think with yesterday being able to go to therapy, I told myself like, all right, I'm gonna try my best to stay in the moment, being uh, have a perspective that's rooted in gratitude, and you know just be happy. So my black joy is going to therapy and leaving that motherfucker feeling like I'm gonna prioritize my happiness. Um, and we'll see how long it lasts. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's up. I know that sometimes, like when I go to therapy, I'm just like, "Fuck, I do not want to go to therapy." For real, to, I like, never feel that for way. Real? There's days where I'm like, "Also, you've been doing." I've been doing this shit for a minute. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll just be hella lazy. I'm like, "Fuck, I'm not trying to go do this shit." And then like I come out after, and I'm like, "All right, I'm feeling kind of good, man." Like, <laughs> I have not felt that. I do. I could say sometimes I get a little nervous before therapy because, you know. You really gotta sit there and look yourself in the mirror, and you gotta verbalize shit. Unquote, look, yeah, or like say things that you know, but you've been saying inside. But sometimes shit hit harder when you say it out loud, you know. Um, yeah. So I could, you know, there's there's things that make me a little nervous about going, but I never be like, oh fuck. At least yeah. Not, not yet. I haven't felt that way. Yeah. What about you? What brought you some black joy? <sighs> shit, it's been a fucking week and a half, but uh, shit, getting tatted. That shit. Yeah. Um, we both went and got tatted, so that's been something that I know I've been wanting to do. We've been wanting to do for a minute, yeah, so definitely. that shit was cool to finally get that shit done. And yeah, it's a good culmination of shit. Yeah, tats hurt. 
but <laughs> so tats hurt. They hurt. I don't. I was talking to uh, Brad that tatted us, and I'm like, you know, because I was saying like, yeah, I did want it on my stomach, but I didn't really have the capacity to deal with that pain today. I have a few on my stomach, and them shits hurt. Um, and I was just saying how you know you see niggas who people whose bodies are completely covered, especially yeah. like the, the stomach. I'm like, how the fuck did you sit through that shit? And I hear people, but oh, that shit don't hurt. I'm like, okay, nigga, like you are definitely a psychopath. Yeah, I mean, some people like the pain. Like, there's people who, like, that's why some people get, like, addicted to tattoos is, like, they like the fucking pain and they like the feeling. Because after you're done, you, you kind of feel like a little bit of a high in mm, some ways. Like, your, your endorphins kicking. Your I shit wasn't kicking in. Hell no, nigga. I'd be like, <laughs> damn, I just didn't even stressed for however long it took. <laughs> shit make me hella anxious. I hate it. But, yeah. I feel you. I'm glad we got the tats. Yes, sir. It was a long time coming. Episode 54, so... Man, aside of that shit, I was rereading it, like, trying to put this outline together. Yeah. I'm like, bro, like, her life is many as fuck. Like, I, I, I'm I, telling you, as I, with each page, each chapter, I'm like, fuck, I don't know if I could have with, like, if I could have made it through this shit. Like, the amount of, like, chapter five, she's just going back and forth to different prisons, different That's jails. the chapter where you see there is really trying to break her, for real. Like, solitary confinement. She spent a, a good portion of her um, her time in prison in solitary confinement. Like, and she's fighting hella cases, too. Like, nigga. she isn't just fighting. You know, everyone hears about the the New Jersey Turnpike, right? The shooting of the of the pig and she all that. that kidnapping case and the robbery bank case, robbery cases. Bank robbery. So, she's fighting multiple cases, fed cases. And all of them could just end up to you being life in jail, my nigga. Like, that's really what happens. All of them. <laughs> like, all of them are life sentences, yeah, pretty much. All of them could... could Especially with the political climate of the time. Like, this shit was... You feel and me? then, like, you know, of course, like, trying to trying to set an example. For uh, all other black radicals and shit like yeah. that. It was, yeah. Um, so, yeah, with Chapter 5, they, they started off with Asada being transferred from... Um, was it... Middle, what it middle Middlesex County? Middlesex County Jail for men, yeah. where she was held in the basement in solitary confinement. The basement of the fucking jail. And then she was transferred to Rikers. Yeah. Not even knowing about, where you're going, though. Just telling, like, we're taking you to New York. And you so think about, like, her lawyer's not even knowing. You feel me? Like, she's just being transferred. Her lawyer doesn't even know. Just yeah. think about all that shit. Like, that shit is not easy for a lawyer, too. Trying to, you know? I mean, that I, I, I think that was, I'm sure that was a strategy put in place by the state to... Um, to scare them, to not give them enough time to put a uh, like an a proper defense together. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And then, as we all know, I'm sure people have heard the stories about Rikers by now. You know, it's a lot of organizers right now out in New York, and I'm sure like globally that are organizing to, to uh, shut Rikers down right now. Yeah. Um. So, like niggas know if you out if you if you haven't heard the stories about Rikers. Um, you should definitely do some research, research into it, but that is a fucking like all prisons are terrible. But like, right. that that is one that's been you know that's made national headlines multiple times for the ways in which they People engage and treat their inmates in there. You know what I'm saying? Abused, dying, yeah, sexually assaulted. So you think about what it's like to be in Rikers as a black radical and as a black woman at that time, right? I mean, we read about it, like, but to read her words too, yeah, you know, I think that's one of the thing like how she always kept hope too. That's like many to me. Like being in solitary in a basement, then being transferred. Like you just when you read her book, you just kind of feel hopeful. I don't know if you felt that. Yeah, I mean, I, I felt hopeful. Um, like just the language she'd be using is like she never gave up, and she was always held with discipline with her shit too. And I, th- I think, I, th- I think it was super important. Just as like folks, if if anyone that's like organizing, 
um and like fighting fighting a good fight or whatever um just constantly knowing that it's people that came before us that did this shit right you know that's where i see the hope and it. it's like all right and i you know whatever progress means at this time i feel like we're not in the same you know um time that they were i feel like shit was a lot it was it was i mean we still dealing with the violence and shit but you know it's different systems to hold this this state quote unquote accountable now mm-hmm. um like a lot of shit that i think the side went through uh, I don't know Cause motherfuckers Still going through it In prison and shit Like you know Probably yeah. not hearing about But She was getting treated Like this And it was damn near Like public You know Knowledge I feel like That like you know They, they got her fucked up um, Yeah But yeah Knowing that she went Through all that kind of shit It, de- it definitely To your point Made me super hopeful uh, Yeah and I'm, I'm hoping People got that From from reading this book You should definitely Especially with this chapter Chapter 5 Where her going through All that shit Yeah and I think like what you were saying before is like this shit was meant to break her. You know, she also had like hell with co defendants with shit too. So it's like what are we trying to break her yeah. this whole time? And still she like she literally said she would not remember addresses to places she was staying when she was underground. Purposely. She was super tactical. You like, feel me? So like she was literally like, I'm never gonna remember where I'm staying, like address wise. So like if they torture me to a point, I'm still not giving that shit up because I don't know the address. Yeah. Or I don't remember like I wrote down phone numbers, I don't remember shit. Yeah, and like wrote it in code and shit like that. Like, people talk about being a revolutionary <laughs> and militancy, but like this is real ass militancy. Yeah, she like, was on. You feel me? And it just makes me like just think about the Jay Z's and you feel me, the Sean Kings and shit like that, and how these movements have been co opted. And like, bro, this is like what Asada was going through, and the level like, of this is what it really took. like. This is what like the people who really put themselves out there for the people they don't get. To become billionaires You feel me They don't get to Be celebrities In that kind of sense Like they're revered By their communities But like on a Global Kind of like You know Mainstream Like they don't get that They are enemies Of the state Niggas aren't Niggas aren't uplifted And put on pedestals By the state You feel me (laughs) So And I think What I got from it Was like What militancy looks like In practice As opposed to theory Because a lot of people Try to align themselves With the black radical movement the Black Liberation Army, as far as like politically in theories, right? But like, nigga, what the you action of it, like, like, what is your daily so practice and personal life look <laughs> like? Like, like, and yeah. how you even just navigate this fucking the system yeah. and the shit they was doing. You feel me? Like, they was on some real militant read, like, radical your, shit. Yeah, like to your point, I don't know how you could read this and then fuck with mainstream activists. <laughs> like, I don't know how you could read like, I, and like, then you retreat Sean and, King. And, uh, yeah, like, yeah, that's is not the only one, right? You look at. Anyone from that Black Liberation movement, or even look at Sundiata, who she's talking about her co-defendant. Yeah. Like that nigga still locked up today. Feel you me? feel me for the the killing of the New York or uh, New Jersey pig, yeah. or Kamal, her uh, her partner at the time. Like yeah. he's still locked up. You feel me? So it's like <laughs> this is this is, um, and not to say again, I don't want to be like oh jail and and that kind of shit is the um, the markings of a radical. Yeah, because like, but. You should know that, like, these niggas aren't people that are, you know, they're not going to be out here assimilating and integrating into this white supremacist police state. Mm -hmm. Like, that's not what it looks like to be a real person of, like, really fighting um, for black liberation. It don't look like alignment with the state. It looks like complete rejection of it. Right. A a rejection of it in as many ways as possible. Um, But, yeah. So, yeah, chapter five. It left me with a lot of hope. It left me with like frustration because, you know, think about the all the other folks that was a part of the Black Liberation 
movement, right? That um experience it, but then also just think about black folks in prison in general, black women in prison in general, right? Who who all, who don't have a political status or you know what I'm saying? Like yeah. Um it really just had me thinking about like, you know, I think I've been doing a lot more reading on like um abolition men and shit. Yeah. Yeah. So like it, ha- it has me really like like yeah, this prison shit gotta go. Uh, yeah, it make you really I mean <laughs> like, when you reading the shit and then you just hearing the the stories she's talking about too. You know of other black women she meets while she's incarcerated, like people doing fed sign for stealing. You know, right, but then so white like, women would walk in and with you know do like a couple of weeks for like the most heinous crimes. Motherfuckers be getting out in a matter of minutes and hours. You know? So like, what are we just seeing this war on black women and it's so popular, especially now? It's like talk about the incarceration of black men, right? But this is early 1970s, and these are the abuses that black women are facing, but was often not talked about. And the dominant, you know, culture. You feel me? It's like, oh, black man is locked up. Black man is locked up. Like, that's always what people would say. You yeah. feel me? And just seeing the abuses that black women face in prison. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah, it's, it's, this shit is nuts. It also made me, like, had me thinking about, like, black sheriff deputies, black police officers. This, mm-hmm. this book me, makes me think about that a lot. It's like, Cause she started talking about that too. She's like, she it was in there. Yeah, she's like, oh, I had there was black COs. Yeah, <laughs> letting this shit happen. So it's like that whole integrating thing. That that argument. It's like, uh, and that's early nineteen seventies. History shows this shit that is happening. Yeah, history shows that that shit don't work. And I'm just like, why uh, would you want to be a part of something like that? Like we we talk about systems on here often. You know, it's like you you integrating yourself into a system that's designed to do what it's going to do. And mm-hmm. yeah, and just seeing that just the complete war on the Black Panthers and the Black Liberation Army, you know, is literally coming from President Nixon. You know, so, like, the case she was fighting, she was fighting with uh, Kamau, right? Yeah. And literally the judge was appointed by Nixon. The fucking, you know, the president was like, oh, okay, this is, like, everybody know who Nixon is now. He wants the fucking war on drugs. Cohen corrupt Cole as nigga. fuck. You feel me? Like, <laughs> was literally fucking pardoned after he got, after he was done with his presidency. You know, and this was like the same judge that was like in the Watergate shit. Yeah, yeah, and then they they ended up um, didn't they deny their their appeal? Yeah, basically there was they tried their case hella fast. Yeah, which you feel me? Like, what are we not giving the discovery, which is all the quote unquote evidence that the prosecutor finds to the defense team? Like that shit's. Unconstitutional as it is, you feel me? For your defense team but not to the get judge the fucking like end up giving um, Nixon's people a postponement, yeah, yeah, postponement <laughs> so that they can develop their shit together. That yeah. just lets you know, like, what who you, well, this is the power that was going up against. Yeah. You feel me? Like, literally, the president is directly involved on your case. Like, and it was oh, for a lot of you know, feel me, Jaleel's case, Nixon was directly involved on that shit too. Yeah, same shit with the Watergate. You feel me? So it's like. This is the exact shit that was happening all the time. You know, people in the courtroom be chanting rail, 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 rail. Like, they just, what are we just trying to give them? They were trying to break them from every way, my nigga. From whether it was being in solitary confinement, nigga, to not giving them, not giving uh, them and their lawyers enough time to build their case and their defense. It was like, nigga, we're, this is like really the definition of railroading. <laughs> like, to the point to where they did not offer a defense. They're like, we, could, we are going to protest this and hopefully appeal it. And we're not going to offer a defense because of the way this shit is fucking set up. Her aunt and lawyer, Evelyn, um, 
She she was a beast too. Evelyn was a beast. <laughs> she was a beast. Auntie I, Evelyn I, I, was a beast. I, yeah, for, I, I, for real. She was definitely one of my favorite. Like I guess like that was one of the core characters. Character. Yeah. yeah, but because she's the real core person. <laughs> <laughs> core people in the but she, man. Like she was like talk about support, nigga. You she, talk about perseverance and the ability to stay focused, and you know. And I think that's what love do. You know what I'm saying? Like you got your your niece in there. You know what I'm saying? You're gonna go above and beyond to make sure you bring them home, especially when you know they're innocent. Um, yeah, but this the the state was doing everything they could. You know, like they had to appeal to get us out of this solitary confinement. It's like, how is she gonna be able to properly, you know, defend a case when she has hella cases when she's literally trying to appeal? And that's the way the state is working. To what are we and you trying to send us out of the prison? Confinement. We understand what this what, what being in solitary confinement can do to a person's spirit to their mind. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think another thing that that stood out in this chapter was. Like this notion of black love too, would come out. Yeah, that, like, I, I, I like that. Uh, that that chapter that wasn't that was another element of the chapter that filled me with some hope for sure. Yeah. So what happened is basically they got banned from the courtroom. <laughs> like, bro, like this case is so fucking wild. Like you can't even listen to your own. You're being tried for what bank robbery or some yeah. shit, and you can't even sit in the courtroom. Yeah. Because the guards just beat them, you know. So like while uh. She basically, like, they fell in love or some shit like that. Yeah. And um, they ended up having a baby. And it was it was a little a little extra in there that they had. I could damn near find it. Um, but when it was, like, like, the gist of it was. Yeah. Um, like, they said it would be, like, a miracle to find love in this situation or to even have, like, a yeah, baby. And that like, shit, that shit kind of hit hard. Like, even despite being in solitary, despite these conditions you're in, like, you found, like, love in that moment. And, like, at the point, like, oh, it would be a miracle to have a baby in these conditions, you know? Yeah, because, you know, you and I, I don't know if we talk about it on the podcast, but, you know, and we often talk about, you know, if we want to have kids or not. Yeah. Like, bro, I don't know if, like, a, a, a big reason why I lean to not having them is, like, I don't want to bring no more black people into this earth, to, like, into this world, to be honest, you know? Like, yeah, or just even thinking about, I don't know, for myself, like, the pain that a nigga still going through from like yeah. some shit like my father did, you know. Just thinking about the pain, like damn, bro. Like I don't want my kid to ever feel <laughs> some of the shit that I felt. And the only way you could damn near guarantee that shit is by not, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But it, that's definitely what I thought about when um when I was reading that chapter. Those conversations we've had about it, you know, I'm like damn, if they could think about hope and love in the most in the worst conditions possible yeah. and still find love and black love at that. Yeah, a, a, that shit. That shit revolutionary in a lot of ways, right? One hundred percent. A part that really stuck out to me was like when Kamal and um, Asada were having a discussion around, like you know, possibly uh, having a child, and you know, she was saying like, nah, or whatever. Um, she said, "I'm a revolutionary. I don't have time to sit at home and make no babies." And he was said, "Do you think you're a machine? Do you think you were put on this earth to fight and nothing else?" Like that was something that really stuck out to me. Um, and I'm not, not even just like on a kid sense, but, you know, we talk about often how as black folks, we're like, especially if you want to use the word conscious, but even if you're not conscious, you're always fighting for your for your, for your your freedom or for your peace. Like, I just think being black in general, especially being, yeah, of course, you know, I haven't really been out the country and then when I think about the diaspora, I think being um, black in general, right, your whole burden, it's this burden, it's this fucking responsibility you born with. To where everything you do is damn near a political act, 
You know what I'm saying? Um, and that shit is just so fucking tiresome. Uh, so for him to say, like, do you think you were just born to fight? Born to fight and die. I'm like, damn, it made me start thinking about what else do I want for my life that's not attached to black liberation. Um, and that might even, be, I, I don't know. I, I, that's not privilege because this nigga is in enslaved while he's saying this in prison like, literally like, in the face <laughs> still is in prison yeah, today like this, this is yeah. he's enslaved you feel me um so yeah it got me thinking and i hope other people think about this too like what do our lives look like as black people in this white supremacist state and it's that's not just rooted in being black and fighting white supremacy you know what i'm saying so that was uh a part that definitely stuck out to me that i've been trying to that I like that that's been carrying that's that I carry with me. Mm. Yeah. And then Asada was like, damn, I'm gonna have a little <laughs> revolutionary freedom fighter. Like it was just thinking about all the possibilities. And in a lot of ways that I think that child gave her hope. For sure. You know? Yeah. In a lot of ways. And this shit was just Yeah. I that was just a powerful moment. So if you read that moment, be sure to like read that read that again. You know, I, that's definitely a chapter I probably will come back to. Yeah. So Chapter six. Yeah, for those that don't remember, like who haven't read it yet, the, the book back like kind of bounces back and forth between chapters between her time in um in prison, and then yeah. also like her childhood and like the moments that helped shape her. And it's hard because you like it just be going so like you could read a chapter like chapter five and then you go back to her childhood. You're like, damn, I want all the action, action, action. You know, yeah. when she be going back in time, be like, damn, nigga, I forgot she was this young. Like in chapter six, she talks like at the end of it, they fucking reveal that she was 13 years old. I'm like, hold on, wait. Bruh. What? That I had like, a when I was moment. reading this, I thought she was like sixteen or seventeen Bruh. when I was reading it. Um, so yeah, at thirteen, she fucking left the house, my nigga. Like left the house and was on the streets and figuring the shit out by herself. I think we talked about this in you, but I was like, yeah, nigga, thirteen, I couldn't survive. I couldn't have survived. Bruh. It's amongst adults. On top of that, thirteen. What you eighth grade? Yes, I was in eighth grade when I was thirteen. I had no. Game. I had no idea. What I was. To so, I was game goofy for sure. <laughs> I'll probably just sit in the mall all day. <laughs> Bro, she got that job at that um it wasn't a restaurant, was it? Was that the was that it was the like diner? yeah, it was like a diner for like a, a factory. Yeah. So she had a bunch of factory workers going in. So the first thing she did was like, all right, she was trying to find a job and I think one of the things about this chapter is just reminding me how much like of a hustler she was. Like from such a young age, like she was always hustling to get by and kinda had like this revolutionary spirit you feel yeah. me just like all right i'm gonna find a way i'm by gonna make means. a way by any means necessary even at age 13 you know even when she wasn't as like politicized right mm-hmm. so she ended up getting a job um did it for a day and was just being sexually harassed you know and was like by her I, fucking boss or manager whatever it is yeah it was it was a it was a white a white man yeah that shit was that shit was disturbing to read that that was one of the parts that made me super angry yeah um is and she ends up fucking like saying fuck this shit like I, I can't work here just give me my money and I'm out um, and that's where she was able to she got enough money for for that hotel for the hotel yeah, yeah. and that's where she meets fucking Miss Shirley yeah like, cause yeah and Miss Shirley laced her with game for sure Young game hell a game hell a game and yeah so that's like that's where I think you can tell that she's a kid cause like she hasn't even learned how to like properly lie, I guess. You know, like, yeah. as a kid, you tell some dumb ass lies. Um, <laughs> and she said that was a thing for her. Like, she just could not stop lying. Like, when she was early on, maybe like chapters three or four or whatever, she was like, I just cannot stop lying to my mama for some reason. Like, <laughs> uh, and we knew she wasn't good at lying either. Right. And then Miss Charlie was like, Girl, I know what you, you like. You, you ran away from home. Like, she would always tell this story of how, Oh, my mama in the hospital. Like, that's how she would get motherfuckers, right? It's like, Oh, my mama in the hospital. I need somewhere to stay for the night type shit. 
Uh, and Miss Shirley was basically like, uh, I'm hip to that. Like, I already know what you all. Because um, Asada was telling her how she was getting her money or whatever, right? She was basically like robbing. I think they they would her and this basically they was like robbing tricks, right? Yeah, they was robbing tricks. They would make they would make people think that they were sex workers, yeah. and then they would they would rob them. Um, and Miss Shirley was like, "You gonna fuck around and die playing like that?" Because she had moved yeah. to Greenwich, right? Um, that's where she went. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she went to Greenwich, and she was like that. For those that don't know Greenwich, which it probably still is, cause we stayed there recently. It's kind of like a little artsy hipster kind of place. But yeah. I can't imagine what it was like in the fucking seventies. It was probably nuts back yeah. then. <laughs> uh, she she was down there in Greenwich running her little plays and shit, trying to make some money. She ended up meeting Miss Shirley. Uh, Miss Shirley was like, "Nah, you gonna fuck around and get killed playing like that." Um, and she ends up putting her on as like a. It's not a call girl. Um, she basically is like bait at this bar, like to be like a young pretty girl, and convince motherfuckers to spend hella money at the but bar. There's also prostitutes at the bar though too, so it's like a brothel kind of thing with a bar in it. Um, yeah, and she that so that ends up being her job after she fucking quits. At the, uh, at like the little diner or whatever. But the yeah. whole time she's, I'm telling you, the whole time she's telling that story, or she's like recalling these these moments. I did not realize she was. 13, I think it's like her senior year of high school. She ran away. I from thought me. she was 17, <laughs> 18, <laughs> like. And then it later reveals that she was fucking 13 because she runs into her damn. Like a was it her aunt or a friend? Was it Evelyn? I saw. I'm trying to figure. I don't think it's Evelyn. It was. I think it was one of her friends, Evelyn's friends, or some shit like that. Or her, one of her mom's friends. Yeah. She ran into. Could, yeah, it was a, 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 a one of her elders. She ran into them. Um, she was trying to act like it wasn't her. <laughs> yeah, she ran in. She's like, "I ain't a soda." She's like, 13 years old." Like, Bro, that's how you know. Like, <laughs> that's like she's like, "No, that's not me." Like, <laughs> like that's like you really ready to like you feel me? Your, one of your mom friends that been knowing you since you was a kid. You on the street like Blake, and you like who? Who the fuck is that? Like, nigga, stop playing with me. Like, I know who you fuck you are. Like, stop, bro. Like, I'm looking dead at you. I've known you since you were born. Like, stop playing with me. So that little shit like that lets you know that Asada was a fucking child. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah, but shout out Miss Shirley. It's fucking because I feel like Miss Shirley like, saved her life. Yeah, like she definitely. Yeah, Miss she didn't miss, meet Miss Shirley. Who knows? She could have. You feel me? She could have been hurt, yeah. killed. You know, doing all those running plays and shit like that. Like you never know how it could have ended up, and just make you kind of think of like the uh, I don't know that village type shit. It's like yeah. Miss Shirley noticed Asada like by herself. Clearly could tell she can run away. She's like, all right, here. She fronted her for the first week, got her housing and shit, got her off the streets. Yeah. And it was revealed that Miss Shirley was a a black trans woman. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was that was that was a super a dope chapter. And I it definitely I feel like Asada was lucky in a sense to always come across basically like some type of community. Mm-hmm. And I feel like these community the community was uh you know, she was lucky enough to come across type of community that could shape her. That was definitely like a key thing. Like to, wherever, to survive. Yeah. wherever she was, she met some people and caught game from some people. Yeah. You know, and had her community. So, shit, chapter seven, huh? Yeah, this shit had me hot as fuck. Chapter seven, yeah, it's definitely. <laughs> I and mean, we probably should have provided like a content warning in the beginning of this, but like yeah. chapter seven is definitely a lot of this shit is just talking about. Just the violence yeah, it's that she violence. faces as a black woman. Oh, it's, it's all it's you know? all violence. And yeah, I couldn't imagine. Um, so in chapter seven, Asada like is known that she's she knows that she's pregnant, so she starts feeling sick. She said she was trying to do like sit ups, and she's like, oh, I can't do that shit. Yeah. So she goes and visits the infirmary, the prison doctor, and she's like trying to 
pretty much telling that she's pregnant and the doctor's like, nah, like you probably this or like, oh, you're depressed or some shit like that. Like was just like basically shooting down everything that she was saying. Yeah. And that was the theme of her engagement with doctors from the moment she got arrested was them telling her, so just thinking oh, you about, don't like, need that. The medical care that she yeah. was not receiving, like these doctors was literally trying to kill her as well. So not a, not only was it the police, not only was it being incarcerated, but it was also the medical care that she was receiving. But you hear black women talk about that shit a lot. Like, you know, book medical to, apartheid. Like, yeah, them going to their doctors and them doctors saying, you know, and this is black women who are on the street, you feel me, like who aren't enslaved and are in prison. You know what I'm saying? Like these are black women who go to the doctor just out, quote unquote, regular citizens, right? So if these folks that aren't slaves in prison, if these black women on you know free quote unquote free black women are being treated like this by doctors, could you imagine what enslaved women in prison are going through? Right. Come on, like niggas not even running tests on her. Like then when 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 she gets the other doctor, um, based on because like Evelyn is able to get like a a, a court order yeah. to have another doctor come in there, right? Yeah. What do we had to have a judge's order to yeah. get like a, gyneco- a gynecologist? Mm-hmm. So once he's in there, he does he look like, demand that they do a pregnancy Garrett. test? Yeah, Doctor Garrett was like the white yeah. guy still figures out like the white guy runs the test and then still doesn't tell her that she's pregnant. I think the white guy said she was like, "Oh yeah, you're pregnant," but kind of said it in such a nonchalant way. But this is after he's forced to like she doesn't she fix she finds out she's pregnant from someone else because she goes back to the doctor and yeah. he's like, "Oh, I thought you would figure it out or some shit like that." He's a mm. She got me hot. <laughs> he was a lot of pocket, yeah. bro. Um, yeah, so just again, her being completely disrespected by the prison in every which way, and then you know being pregnant during this time. Um, but yeah, I, I feel like um, I can imagine being pregnant yeah. in prison, bro. And in a mist. Like nigga, her trial and shit is still going on. Like she's still having to, you know, yeah, figure this shit out and fight and fight this case. And just even like everyone is having to do this, like fight to get a judge's order so she can have her own doctor. At the same time, she's supposed to be defending her from a case. Like, <laughs> you know, just the multitudes of way that there was like trying to stack up shit on her lawyer, Evelyn. Yeah, you know, like that shit. And, then, and, and who was her other co-defendant? This because this is for a separate case. Th- this, this is a uh, this is the murder case with Sundiata. Yeah. So. Yeah, like she's literally about to go on trial for that shit, and then she has to like get a judge's order again to like, oh, you can't go on trial. Like she's, she's fucking pregnant, pregnant. Yeah. <laughs> you know. But they was literally about to put her on trial, right? Yeah. And just even thinking about like if she didn't have Doctor Garrett, like who knows what would happened, you know? Because they wanted her to miscarry. Facts, and, and like, like the doctor says some shit like, "You should do all of us a favor and get an abortion." Yeah. Like that's what the, her white doctor was saying to her. Niggas didn't like, and a lot of these white racist people are quote unquote pro life, right? Yeah. But when it comes to black women, right? Shit was disgusting, fam. Like, even as we talk about this shit, I'm getting hot. Um, yeah, it's hot in here, and I'm fucking hot right now. I mean, like, <laughs> so, like this shit is just. Cause think about how many of these stories don't get told. Yeah, and if it literally wasn't for Doctor Garrett, like Doctor Garrett was like, I have to go testify to the judge to get you hospitalized. That white doctor in prison would not have done it. You feel me? Like she could have already she said literally died if it wasn't for Evelyn. An abortion and do us all a favor. Like this nigga knew what was going on. 
They, so he, he didn't want to run no tests because if yeah. he had to run tests, that means he had to do something. Baby would have died. Nasala would have died. Potentially. Yeah. Right? So we were just thinking how, like, auntie, her auntie Evelyn was literally saving her life hell of fucking times. Too, I think that's one theme that comes up within the book, like how Evelyn is always there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that shit. Even um, just thinking about one thing, I was thinking like when I was rereading this shit last night was how now the trial got basically pushed back, you know, and basically Sandiato is now being tried by himself. Like if Asada was tried at that time, who knows if she would have been able to break out of prison too. So just yeah. thinking about like how that baby kind of could have been a gift for Asada. You know what I'm saying? Like, and that was like what helped her actually get out of prison. Because if she didn't have a baby right there, she would have been tried right there. Who knows if she would have been able to escape? Yeah, this should be from like a uh, like a fairy tale. <laughs> it's like it all works out in the end. But I mean, I'm sure she's like extremely traumatized from this shit. I couldn't. Like, I'm traumatized from the shit that I've been through in my life, and I ain't been through nothing as sick as this. Yeah. So then going to uh, chapter eight. So like, again, it goes back in time. Um, she starts going to, she moves in with Evelyn. So well, this is like. Maybe it was Evelyn who found her or a friend of Evelyn. I think it was like a friend of Evelyn. Then she went to Evelyn's house because she was fucking with her mama. Yeah. And that was like the theme of her. Like her and mom just somehow could never get on the same page. But you know how it be when, you, when you're young. Yeah. Yeah. So she, like she's literally known Evelyn her whole life. You feel me? Evelyn's always, you know, was talking about Evelyn has always been. Looking out for her, so Asana moves in, moves in with her. Um, she goes to like a Catholic high school. Is going back, you know, visiting her grandparents in the south and shit. But this is also kind of like where she starts to talk a lot about like her political transformation, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's something that is dope to see. Just like her talk about like, oh, in this time, like I didn't really. She was like, oh, I'm, I'm American, you know. She talked a lot about that at that point. I think we all go through that at some point. I, right. I wouldn't. I, wouldn't say and if you think about the time she was she was in high school when this happened i wouldn't know i wouldn't say that i was like proud to be an american i don't know if i ever identified as like american but i would say like when I, we talked about this before on the podcast like when obama won the presidency i was yeah. like hella used about that i think i was like in 11th grade or some shit like that so i feel like that's just like the progression of being black yeah. you especially like if you come from like some type of like southern roots because you know her grandma used to tell her shit like oh we you know, we go, you're going to make something of yourself and to show these these white people that you just like them type yeah. shit. You just, so. Pick yourself up from the bootstraps type yeah. of mentality. Like, work hard, get you something. I think, so I think, like, that's just, like, the progression. Like, you go through, like, your whole work hard. Yeah. Let me show these people that I can be a part of this system, that I am worthy of being a part of this system. Then you'd be like, wait, fuck this system. Facts. Because you start seeing how it actually is working. Then you, like, fuck the system. Like, it's kind of like rebellion. Then you're like, oh, wait, we need to actually... Like this system is exploiting me, not fuck it. We need to knock this motherfucker down. I think yeah. it's like kind of like progression. Yeah, I thought it was just dope how she actually talked about her political transformation, though. Yeah, because a lot of times, especially right now, like people were just like, "Oh, I've been woke my whole life." <laughs> Niggas act like they was born out the womb with their fucking black power fist up, like yeah. just so woke that like they never was trash. Or you feel me? So it's just like I thought this was a good example, of, like just really talking about her own transformation, and I think a lot of people could take. That attitude yeah, that she has definitely like, humbling. You know, it's humbling, and it's um, it shows how much you can grow as a person too. Yeah, because I mean, we had this talk about the on the extended episode where we were talking about like the ways in which we would engage with white people when we were in high school and probably yeah. early college. Um, and I 
definitely find some shame in that sometimes. But I'm like, bro, niggas didn't know any better. Like, and look at niggas now. You read Asada, it's like, okay, like this is literally the Asada was doing this shit too, like the most radical revolutionary that of our time. You know, so yeah, that's chapter eight. Um, and then chapter nine is, it goes back again. This is still when she's, you know, dealing, is pregnant, and it's still dealing with just like the terror that this prison system is inflicting on her, that this white supremacist. Oh, shit, I think a, a, a part, uh, I was gonna say a, a part of chapter eight, uh, that really. Played a role in her being politicized when she went to that NAACP shit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was like, what would you do if a white person spit on you? And like everybody went around the circle. It was like, uh, oh, I, I like pray for him, or I, you know, I, yeah, like show grace to them or some shit. And what did she say? Um, she didn't say like I would, I would hit him. She's but I'll, I, I'm definitely not finna say I would. She's like, I don't know what I would do. Like with <laughs> you, I don't know what I would do. Uh, so yeah, that that was definitely a, a key. Not to cut you off, but that was like a key moment. You know? yeah. Politicization is like, wait, nigga, I'm definitely not okay with letting motherfuckers spit on me. That's not gonna happen. <laughs> like that's <laughs> one thing my mom told me is like, you ain't gonna let nobody do that shit. Yeah, to I don't you. know what I would do, but I would not fuck with that. <laughs> I'm not praying. I go to Catholic school, but I'm not praying. Like. Yeah, she talks about like believing in integration and all that shit, and then yeah, um, yeah, that's that was one part of chapter eight that really helps like politicize her. My bad. No, you good? So yeah, no chapter nine, like it's going back and forth again, and it's it's back to her, you know, still being incarcerated, and basically she's in the hospital at this point. Um, basically, like she. Her health was so bad at that point that she was about to have like a miscarriage mm-hmm. if like her health did not improve. She was anemic and malnourished, according to her physical that she got when she first got back to Rikers. Right. And literally, at some point, I'm pretty sure everyone was suing basically because she was not only malnourished, but like then dietary discrimination too. Mm-hmm. So, like, literally, all these things are happening. Um, but she's in the hospital um, and she says she's literally handcuffed to the bed. Right, and then this whole time, she has shotguns from the guards pointed at her. Man, when she when she first got back to Rikers and she was in the infirmary, Doctor Garrett, who was the black doctor that um, her her aunt got appointed to her, um, when he, when he first got there to see her, they even with the court order, they told him that he couldn't see her. Yeah, so one of the things they said it was, was like waiting for her to die, bro. It was like hoping something would happen to right, her. They're like, bro. all right, yeah, you could have your black doctor. But then, like, oh, you have to have our doctor there first, and he has to examine you first. And the Sada was like, nah, I'm not letting that happen. Shit is crazy. Like, when are we finding every single way to try to kill Asada? You know? So her lawyers ended up suing for medical maltreatment and dietary abuse, right? But literally after she's discharged from the hospital, from February to May, she was in solitary in Middlesex County Jail for men while she was pregnant. Like, just think about the terrorism. Like, th- like this is the most devilish shit you could think of. Like, these motherfuckers really just put her in solitary confinement after being in the hospital. You feel me? For the threat of, like, a, having a miscarriage. And then the first thing they do is put her into solitary in a men's prison, in a men's jail. And, like, she's talked about she was beginning to starve, too. Right? Because they... Um, 
we're giving pork. Pork was the main meal. She didn't eat pork. Yeah. Like, so that's like why, you know, everyone was suing for dietary mistreatment and medical mistreatment, right? That shit just, you know, just the fact that she was able to have her baby is like, despite all the shit she went through. They put up every, they did every single thing in their power to kill Asada and her baby. Yes, every single thing in their power. And through the perseverance of her aunt uh, and her doctor, you know, they were, she was able to deliver uh, a healthy baby. Right. And they wasn't about to let Dr. Garrett even deliver her babies to the point where she's like, I'm going to deliver it myself. They had to have a press conference out in front of the hospital, Dr. Garrett and Evelyn, to say like, yo, they're not trying to let me deliver her baby. She was... So she then had to sign a form, right, saying that... She was ready to deliver it herself. She said she was going to do it. <laughs> and then she signed a form relieving them of any legal shit. So Dr. Garrett was able to deliver her baby. Then the baby was taken away from her. She wasn't able to see her baby for like another day or something like that. And then she was discharged from the hospital by the order of the commissioner for the prison. Not from the fucking doctor, but from the commissioner of the prison. And then sent back to fucking prison. There is a nurse in there at the time, like where she's going into labor, and she's like, "I can feel the baby's head," and the the nurse is like, "No, you're not ready yet." Without even examining her, she told her, "No, nah, you're not ready yet," and she like, "You need to look." And the the baby was there near, like she was breached damn near. This shit. This is just straight terrorism, every sense of the word. Shit is man. This shit is it's it's really disgusting. They really did not want her to have this baby. Or they wanted her to have it and for something to be wrong with it so that they can break her spirit. Or for her to pass during you uh, know, childbirth. Like, think about how many black women, you know, pass during childbirth. Like, the numbers are a lot higher compared to white women. Mm-hmm. You know. So it's because of shit like this probably happening. Medical racism. Yeah. If shit could happen to Serena Williams, you know what I'm saying? Like, Serena was in the hospital and she's like, I need this. And the doctors literally wasn't doing it. <laughs> you know, so someone very famous like her, then you think about a quote unquote average person. Average, you know what I mean? Yeah. Let alone when you start talking about the enemy of the state, nigga. Bruh. Chapter 10. Yeah. I'm like reading some of this shit as we talk about it. This shit. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, chapter 10, she quit school at 17. She got a job. Um, ended up going to, to night school. And then this chapter kind of talks a lot about just this ongoing theme that we talk about on Hello Black. It's just about like integration. Mm-hmm. So she gets a job basically at this black employment agency. And it's basically like, oh, this shit is trash. Yeah. Talking about how like she was working in the same building as like Ebony mm-hmm. and Jet. And she would talk to some of those people. And they thought like, oh, everything was great. There's no prejudice. You feel me? Because they have this, they're upper class black people. And they think that black people everywhere are fine. That's what happens when you stop hanging around poor black folks, but that's why I don't trust people who don't hang around them. Because that shit starts to jade you. It's, it's it's so easy to forget where you come from and what's really out there. You start to like take your your situation as an anomaly and project it as the norm. That's what you see happen with black folks all the time. This is why Jay Z thinks that everyone. You know, this is why Jay Z is able to spew logic, like you know, start businesses, all this kind of shit. Like nigga, do you know how you are there? You are not going to be the next Jay Z. You're not going to be a millionaire. You'll be lucky enough to make hundreds of thousands of dollars in your lifetime, my nigga. You need to relax. And Asada was literally in the building she was working in was a Rockefeller Center. 
so rock nation you know what i'm saying like i just thought that was very ironic you know especially as on episode 50 in episode i think 52 or episode 51 i don't know we're talking about jay-z right Mm -hmm. and rock nation and how activists get signed to rock nation and shit like that so i thought you know in the early 70s she's exposing these contradictions these class contradictions amongst black people and talking about how you know a lot of upper class black people did not fuck with the movement and did not fuck with the experiences that black people were going and even had the fucking audacity because it wasn't their experiences it wasn't their experiences you know it's not it's not their reality right and too many and i think that's why it's important like when we talk about black liberation it's not to get caught up in our own realities especially if if you're someone that that has been able to like find a little comfort you know and, and elevate yourself whatever that even looks like in this fucking system like nigga that's not the norm it's still motherfuckers out here going through it in the worst ways yeah. if you're organizing this and centering poor people working class black people you feel me it's not really organizing yeah <laughs> you're just trying to accumulate wealth at this point <laughs> facts um another another like aspect of this so although she was like it was like a moment when she realized integration was bullshit but then through like her college organizing she also started to like kind of figure out why like global solidarity was important um i don't know if this is this the chapter when she comes to the bay no no not yet Um, that was nice though yeah that was i don't know that (laughs) spoiler alert keep reading (laughs) but yeah because she's i'm reading and she's talking about how um someone was talking to her about democracy and saying like, yo, what the U.S. is doing isn't fighting for democracy, actually. Um, fuck, where is this shit? But yeah, this is just like, and this chapter starts to kind of shape her understanding of the U.S. Mm-hmm. and imperialism. Oh yeah, you talking about like when she was talking about like Vietnam and shit like yeah. that? Yeah, who is she talking to? This she was, was talking to college, right? Is that the junior college? I think it was like before that she met some like she said, oh, she met some Africans. Yeah, because you talking about the other person who stayed on my case and prodded me to go back to school as my friend from Kenya. Yeah. And she said she was talking game with them. And yeah, basically... Africans put her on. Yeah. And Asada was like, oh, yeah, we're in Vietnam for... Because uh, we're fighting communism. Some shit like that. And then her African partner was just like, nah, bro. <laughs> you know, and just explained exactly what it was. And that was a point where, you know, Asada was like, oh, shit, I need to really learn. You know, yeah, and it's it's wild because you know when she was working at this place, she thought she was doing a really good thing, and then she realized like nigga, they just doing this shit to look good on paper. Like, you know, they would have this conference for black folks. They would charge for black. Stu- it was like black students, right? They mm-hmm. would charge them to come to that shit, and they would promise them meetings with such and such and such and such corporations that, that and shit to get a, to a job. job. But it was like a I don't, scam. <laughs> yeah, it was just a scam. Like, oh, we we just had to say that we. Looked at black students that we looked at black students. We, well, we did some recruiting. Them. We didn't have to because <laughs> you could still get the money or whatever. It, it was yeah. So her working kind of starts to expose her to the contradictions of, quote-unquote, this American dream that she was taught about. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, her grandma was like, oh, pull yourself up, get a good job, all this, and you'll be fine. And then she starts to being exposed to what the real shit is, and she starts having friends who t- start teaching her about the U.S. and how it's an imperialism, you know, an imperial, quote-unquote, nation that is trying to take territories and shit like that. You feel me? So it's, this is when she really starts coming into... Like a political identity, yeah. you know, or like beginning to identify with politics more. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's the rest of chapter 10. Was so, you got anything else? Nah, I hope. I would say like chapters 5 and 10, I just really thought about violence in prison and why the motherfuckers need to be abolished. Like you can't read these chapters and then think like you could reform a prison. This actually, like this actually happens, nigga. This is not fiction, my nigga. Like how do you <laughs> how do you read this happened. shit and be like, oh, you could fix it? Especially when it's 2019 now, and we hear about the same types of Still abuses like, that are going on. You feel me? Like it's the prisons. Literally, I read a story about a woman who had to get pregnant by herself and herself, or had to uh, have a baby by herself. Nigga, she was screaming for like four hours and no one came to get her. Yeah, fucking right. So this shit is supposed to be reformed now. Nah, this shit gotta go. This shit has to be yeah. abolished. It made me think about abolishment. It made me think about hope. Um, yeah, those are like some things I, I left with, like really feeling angry about prisons and also just feeling hopeful, cause just knowing that if I started can persevere through all that, all those things, then you know. And it's about the history of perseverance. Say, like yeah, persevere, but also find love at that time. Also find joy. And you know when she could, like I thought, I gotta stop complaining. <laughs> That's how I felt. Yeah, cause like niggas, you know, niggas we'll be through going it. through it. But yeah, like, like compared to this shit. So tap into the next part of this episode. You feel me? Tap in with our Patreon, Patreon.com/slash/HellBlackPod. Make sure you like us on SoundCloud. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, you feel me? Give us a five-star review. That shit helps us, you feel me? Keep spreading the word. Post this shit on your IG story. Tell your partners, you feel me? Tell your friends, cousins, family. You know, that's a great way how we spread hell with black. So the next episode that we're going to do, too, will be part three, and it'll be the culmination of reading Asada's autobiography. So, but tap into the next part. Patreon.com slash hellblackpie. I am legit. Please tell your nigga to get off my dick. And I mean now with no disrespect. You're throwing a pussy, you're throwing a fit. Ha! Get you a girl that do both. She got the body and soul, yeah. He eat the pussy like sandwiches, huh? Cause AJ don't want on a roll. Ha! I get the shit on a regular. Good company on my cellular, yeah. They lying around like up and down. And do not see any comparison. No, no, yeah. I gotta know. On the dick like I'm riding a bike I do what I do it with all of my might Pop the E, bitch, I'm high as a kite Like, I ain't go dumb on the mic You pull out the pipe just to
turn you a strike Bitch, I'm a zebra, full of the ether Been with the shit since the day I was breathing, yeah I hit them hard like an 808, uh Ain't no one stopping me, no debate, no You want monogamy, go away, yeah I want the head with no hesitate, uh. You get your stuff from the market, uh I grew my shit in the garden, yeah I am an actual artist If you don't give it, I get it regardless, bitch <laughs> I ain't gotta know What you want, but bitch, lower your tone I got some heat for the 